want to know what do you think about Jesus? Somebody say he's all right. Well, what do you think about Jesus? Well, I know what do you think about Jesus? church and we got to singing that song one day and they came to me after church and said brother Matt we don't like that song I said well why not she said well you say what do you think about Jesus you say he's all right but we think he's more than all right I said well I, I can go with that so well, how y'all gonna sing it so we got to sing it at the next time and all the young people on one side I said what do you think about Jesus they said he's awesome he saved my soul when I was lost. He's awesome. He saved my soul when I was lost. He's awesome. He saved my soul when I was lost. He's awesome. Well, he's awesome, awesome. Well, now what do you think about Jesus? He's awesome. Well, Jesus, he's awesome. I said, what do you think about Jesus? He's awesome. Well, he's awesome, awesome. Amen. Isn't he wonderful? Amen. I say he's all right. He's awesome. He's great. He's wonderful. He's amazing. He's supernatural. He's a healer. He's a life changer. He's a game changer. He's a glory maker. He's a body changer. There's something about him that's worth talking about. And when I get an opportunity, I like to tell people, my God is an awesome God. He ain't ever failed me one time. He led me out of sin. He's led me from, the, from destruction. He's turned me from my past. And he set my feet on a rock to stay. I said he's an awesome God. And he's worthy to be praised. I think we have an awesome God. 
I like to talk about him. Amen. How many come to hear the word of the Lord? Amen. How many come to have church tonight? I love a church that's on fire for God. A church of people that love the word of God. How many love the word? Amen. Isn't it wonderful to go to a church that people come and they come to hear the word? There ain't no, there ain't no other attraction. But they come because they're word-born children of God and they come to hear the word of the Lord. There was an old preacher back in the 50s. You may have heard of him. His name was Jack Cole. Jack Cole, Brother Bam said he had bulldog faith. And I love Jack Cole. I've listened to every sermon that he has recorded. I'm one of them old souls. I like to hear those old guys and their, the, the uh, inspiration that they had. And, but I remember a message that he preached. It was called A Message to the Modern Day Church. I thought, my, if he preached that then, imagine what it'd be like now. He said, but you know, the churches today, he said, the only way they can get people to come to church is if they, have a, if they serve chicken and have an ice cream party and make sweet tea for everybody. And he said, that's about the only way they can get them there. He said, but I think if your church has to serve chicken and ice cream and tea to get people to come to church, then your church is as dead as the chicken, it's as cold as the ice cream, and it's as weak as the tea. But I thank God that we have a church tonight that we can go to with a body of believers that, that don't have to have some other attraction, but the Word of God has drawn us to the house of the Lord tonight that we could fellowship around God's Word. Isn't He wonderful tonight? I said, God's a life changer. Amen. I love the Lord. Amen. I just want to say it's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. and just want to thank Brother Tim for inviting us to be, come and be a part. And It's the first time I've got to see the the church that you built, I've been there in the old building before as a, a young man. And my, what a, what a beautiful place. God's really blessed you. I, it just touches my heart that God cares that much for his children. What a blessing it is. And I, I've always had a lot of respect for Brother Tim. And, and he, even when I was a young man, he used to come and preach our way. And I fell in love with him as a, as a little boy. And I don't know if maybe because I was the shortest guy in there and and Brother Tim, he was kind of short too. And maybe I related, but he just really, he just was such a blessing to us and always, always treated me with great respect. And, and I, I've told my wife this before, and I said, you know, there's only about four people in my life that call me Matthew, and one of them is my mom, and one of them is my banker, and one of them is my wife, and the other one was Brother Tim Pruitt. <laughs> so my, every time you'd see him, you know, I kind of, I got a little older, and I made my name Matt because it was a little easier. And, but every time Brother Tim would see him, he'd say, well, hey, Brother Matthew, how are you? And so he just really always uh, touched my heart. And uh, we've just been a real blessing, and uh, we appreciate his leadership and the, the work that the Lord's done here. And uh, we've been pastoring in, in Arkansas there for almost five years now and had the privilege of sending a lot of our young people to your camp meetings. And, and uh, I know a lot of them that, that you all have met, and I just want to say thank you as a church for uh, putting on the meetings and the youth meetings. I know it's a great sacrifice, but I was telling Brother Tim today, I get to see the results of those young people when they come home. And so I, I thank God that there's a people that will, that will make the sacrifice and take the time and, and put forth the effort to sow into the youth of the message of the hour. And, and it's just been a great blessing, and we're so uh, happy to be able to be a part. And, and I just want to, uh, maybe if we could just go before the Lord and a word of prayer tonight before we read the word. And maybe if you have something on your heart, I believe God is mindful of what we have need of. And I heard Brother Timothy say it before we came out, that God has orchestrated this service as he does every service. He knew who would be here. And 
what would be spoke and what he would put on our heart to speak. And I just, I don't have anything I could say that would help anybody, but I believe if the Lord would come by, he could help. Amen. So I just trust him. And maybe if you have a need on your heart, won't we just each one invite him to come in your own way and maybe just pray for those that's by you. And gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, how privileged we are, Lord, to stand in your presence again. Lord, we're so thankful for your spirit in this building. And Lord, as you told us in your word, Lord, and you've never failed us. You told us where two or three are gathered together in my name. There shall I be in the midst of them. And Lord, here we've came. And Lord, we've lifted your name in song. And Lord, in prayer. And Lord, we've lifted you in praise, Lord. And God, we've asked you, Lord. We've invited you, Lord. And God, not only do we believe you're here by your word, but Lord, we recognize your presence tonight. Lord, I ask you, Lord, tonight a special request, Lord. God, that you've brought this meeting together, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you would speak to every heart. Lord, you know the needs of these people, Lord. I don't know them, and Lord, most of them don't know me, but Lord, we both know you, and we have something in common. Lord, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and Lord, we ask you, Lord, that you would intercede on their behalf, and God, I pray, Lord, whatever they'd have need of, Lord, you would speak to every need. Lord, if it's a direction you want to take, Lord, I pray, Lord, that I would be able to surrender to you, Lord, that you could lead me tonight. And God, that your children would be blessed. Lord, we are so careful to give you the glory for all you do. Lord, we pray you'd anoint the word of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. May God bless you tonight. And amen. I just want to invite you to the scripture and we're going to read out of Jeremiah in the 18th chapter, and we're going to start in the first verse. And I want to bring greetings from our home church in Grace Tabernacle in Black Rock, Arkansas. And, and uh, also my, uh, my wife has came with me to this evening, so uh, just uh, appreciate that. I have uh, some of these young people I've had the privilege of meeting at our uh, tent meeting and things that we do at home. And so just have a lot of dear friends here and uh, pray you all will keep us in your prayers as well. Amen. Man, we just want to read from uh, Jeremiah, the 18th chapter. We're going to start in the first verse. The Bible says, And the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, and go to the potter's house. And there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he worked a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again. Another vessel has seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in mine hand. And we'll just ask the Lord to add his blessing to the reading of the word as you take your seats. And and just uh, want to speak tonight on the mark of the potter. And uh, this is something the Lord had just uh, put on my heart. And and, uh, just uh, again, uh, just... uh, Appreciate the privilege of being here. Every one of these brothers have 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 came and, and spoke at our church and been just such a tremendous blessing and and uh, just uh, just wonderful testimonies. And I might just share this as I get started. But at our uh, tent meeting last year, Brother Timothy had came and and spoke for us. Had a real move of God. And and uh, there was a lady there that was in that in that meeting during the time of the meeting. And and uh, that was 27 years she had been on pain medicine and been in and out of doctors for some health issues and uh, they had her on a pretty uh, high medication and and uh, she had done that for 27 years and it was in that meeting last year that she came through the prayer line and the lord took it from her immediately 
and uh, she went home that night and, and uh, didn't take the pain medicine, went to the doctor. He said, well, we got to put you on a program to get, uh, to get past that and because and, uh, you're going to have withdrawals and you're going to have these symptoms. And uh, to this day, here we are a year later, and I can testify to you, she's not had one symptom. She ain't had one withdrawal. It was just a total deliverance. And uh, I believe God's that kind of a God. And I appreciate these brothers for serving the Lord. And, but I want to uh, speak this, uh, this evening on the mark of the potter. And, uh, I know I just uh, uh, think it's uh, wonderful as we come to church tonight. And uh, I had traveled uh, around, did a lot of uh, meetings and went from place to place as uh, doing missionary work and uh, had the fellowship with a lot of believers. And, and it, you know, it's just there's so much chaos in the world. It's nice to be able to have a place you can just come and fellowship around the word of God and, and just have a wonderful atmosphere. And you don't have to worry about people or uh, what they'll say or do. It's just a free uh, spirit. And, and I feel that here. And I just, it's a welcoming spirit. And I uh, just want to uh, just uh, say I appreciate it. And, and, uh, but, uh, you know, I've been in the, in the mission field and, and uh, done a lot of work over in India and been several times on trips there. And, and, you know, you go around the world and you find there's a lot of beliefs and there's a lot of, there's a lot of gods. There's a lot of religions. There's even in just India alone, there's, uh, there's hundreds of thousands of different gods, even millions that people, uh, they worship all sorts of things. And, and, uh, you know, the great religions that are there, uh, Hinduism and Buddhism and Muslims. And, uh, you know, after, after a while, you find out that every person that you meet, it don't matter what, what, what their race is or what country they're from or, or what their background is, every one of us have a testimony. And uh, every one of us have, have something that we're going through or came through or going to go through. And, and, but, I, but I notice, in, especially in, in India, you'll see so many religions. And, and you'll notice that each person, when they come, after a little while, you start being able to identify what religion religion thereof and uh, because they have an, uh, they have marks that are identifying marks and so uh, when they would come you know you would maybe when you first got you didn't understand but after a little while you'd realize that a Muslim uh, you could go and th- this was a Muslim people or they, these were Hindu people or these were Buddhist and and uh, you know but when you when you visit with them a little while they'll always ask you you know what 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 are you and you say I'm a Christian and I found this to be the case that that used to you could say I'm a Christian but today uh, saying I'm a Christian isn't enough because once you tell somebody you're a Christian then they want to know what kind of Christian that you are. You know, uh, you're a Christian. Are you a Baptist Christian? Are you a Pentecostal Christian? Are you, you know, are you, or, you know, what kind of uh, label? It just seems like it don't matter who you talk to today that everyone wants to put a label on you. They want either make you a Baptist or make you a Calvinist or, or, or even in the, in the political world, the Democrat wants you to be a Democrat and the Republican wants you to be a Republican. And it just seems that everyone is pulling you to their point of view. And, and, uh, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to, uh, to put that label on you. Or in other words, they're trying to to keep or, or to get you to carry their mark or to be a Democrat is to carry the mark of a Democrat. To be a Republican is to carry the mark of a Republican. And it just seems like it's the nature. And I don't think it's a bad nature. It's just the nature of humanity is to get people to agree with you. People want people to agree with them. And, and so you, you, you see as, as they go and, and they begin to, uh, to pull their way and, and spread their, uh, their belief or, or introduce you to, to what, they, what they have. It just seems like that each one is trying to draw you to this. And, and, and whenever, if, if they can get somebody to believe them and if they they can get somebody to get on their side. If they, if they can get somebody, it's like a, an argument that's going on and you got one people on one side and another people on another and, and they're just pulling at people trying to get them to get on one side or the other so they can say they have somebody else on their side and it, it just seems they get excited about it. Well, we got another one and we got a, we got another one on our side and you know, I thought as Paul uh, dealt with this same thing, he was preaching to the Galatians and he said, you know, this is the same nature when they were going around and, and they were teaching on the doctrine of circumcision and Paul, they would come to Paul and, and they would 
asked him about this, this doctrine. And Paul said, see, he said, neither they themselves who are circumcised even keep the law, but they, he said, but they desire you to be circumcised so that they may glory in your flesh. He said, see, because their glory came from winning another to their cause. It wasn't really your soul that they were interested in. It wasn't your life that they were interested in, but it, it was getting somebody else to, uh, to, to, to believe in their cause. But uh, the more I read about it, I thought, you know, we too have a cause. And Paul, Paul said, see, we, we, our cause is this. He said, see, God forbid that we should glory in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, by whom the world has been crucified and I unto the world. He said, it's by this cross that I've been dead to the world. He said, it's Christ, before in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but only a new creation. And Paul said, so from henceforth, let no man trouble me. He said, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I thought, my, isn't it something? If we're going to bear the mark of something, Paul said, let me bear the mark of the body of the Lord Jesus, that the nature of my old man has been cut away. And, and there that remains in me is a new creation, a new creature in Christ. I say this tonight, let my body bear the mark of the Lord Jesus. I mean, say tonight, let my body bear the mark of the cross of Calvary. Let, let my body, if I'm going to bear a mark, let me bear the mark of a new creation in Christ. See, the Bible says we were, we're all marked. You can go in the book of Revelations, and I, I won't take a lot of time on it tonight, but just to lay a foundation, but in the book of Revelations, it tells us that in the end time, that people are going to be marked. The Bible says that there will be a people that will be marked, that would be marked with the mark of the beast, and, and so in, in their, their end would be destruction, and their end would be judgment, and their, their end would be uh, the, 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 uh, the vengeance of God. And, but you notice that in the end time, that wouldn't be the only people that would have a mark. But Brother Ram said, see, in the end time, there was two classes. He said one would have the mark of the beast, and the other one would have a seal of God. He said, see, in the seal of God is the Holy Spirit. That's what Ephesians 4.30. He said, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of your redemption. He said, but those that reject the Holy Spirit, they're already marked by the beast. But here, my friends, I've not come to talk about those that are marked by the beast, but I'm come to talk about those that accepted the mark of God. He said, see, this mark of God is the seal of God. And it don't mean that you just say something that, well, I, I accept the seal of God. It don't mean you say it just to be a part of something. And it don't mean that, that you say it just so you can fit in the church. And it don't mean that you say it to make mama happy or you'll say it to make daddy happy. But to, but to accept the Holy Ghost is to accept a new life. To accept the Holy Ghost is to accept a new creation. To, set, to accept the Holy Ghost is to accept a new heart. To accept the Holy Ghost is to accept a body change. It's to accept that one day this old vile body will be caught up in the air with the Lord. It'll be changed from corruption unto incorruption. From mortality into immortality. To accept the mark of God is to accept healing. To accept the mark of God is to accept truth. He said, see, well, brother man, I can't, you know, I can accept the mark of God, but there's certain things, there, there's certain things I can't accept. But friends, let me tell you a secret tonight. You can never accept the Holy Ghost and reject the truth of God's word. For the Bible says the Holy Ghost will lead you and guide you into all truth. So if you accept the mark of God, you accept the supernatural. If you accept the mark of God, you accept the move of the spirit of God. If you accept the mark of God, you accept the pastor. If you accept the mark of God, you accept the van and preachers and teachers and prophets, everything that comes with the word of God to accept the mark of God is to accept the word of God. And when you accept it, it'll keep you from evil. For the Bible said that there were those that came and they were under this great evil. In the Revelations of the ninth chapter, 
They came into a great evil. You remember, he said they come out of a bottomless pit, those that, that didn't have the seal of God on their foreheads. He said this tormentor came out of a bottomless pit, and they went to torment in the world. I got to reading this yesterday and thought, how, what a tragedy it is to think of a people that would be tormented in such a way that the Bible says they would beg for death, and God wouldn't even let them die. They were tormented for all the time that would pass by of this torment. But the Bible says as this tormentor went out, this great evil that came out of the bottomless pit, pit that went out to torment. He said, see, it could touch not those that had the seal of God on their foreheads. I thought, my, every man and every woman, it didn't matter. It didn't matter where they came from or who their mama was or who their daddy was or, or what church they went to or what, what denomination they were from or how great they were or how much money they had. He went out to torment all of them that didn't have the seal of God upon their forehead. But let me tell you something, friends, that this seal of God, not only is it on their foreheads, but when it's placed there, it affects your whole body. See, the seal of God, it affects the way you act. It affects the way you live. It affects the way you look. See, the seal of God, although it's placed on their forehead, but it, but it affects your feet. It changes where you go. It affects your hands, and it changes what you touch. It affects your eyes, and it changes what you see. It affects your mouth, and it changes what you say. See, it's the seal of God. And Brother Bam said this seal, he said it ain't some stamp or some spot that God would come and put on you. He said, but see, hear what God is doing. He said, your forehead is your revelation, and your hand is the thing you do about it. He says, so see here what God is doing is giving you a spiritual mark that we might do the work of the Lord. I thought, isn't it something that this is what Peter asked the Lord when he knelt down and Jesus was going to wash his feet. And Peter said, Lord, I'll not have you wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part with me. And Peter asked him, he said, well, Lord, if that's the case, then wash not my feet only, but also wash my hands and my head. I thought, isn't it something here the prophet of God would say? He said, see, the seal of God is on your forehead. He said, and it's the revelation from God. And then he said, but then the hands is the work that you do. I thought, oh, Oh my God, let me be that way tonight. Lord, not my feet only, but wash my hands and my head. I say, Lord, cleanse me that I may do the work of the Lord. Cleanse me from my head down to my feet. Let not but one thing in my body that would hinder the move of God. And let me bear in my body the mark of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Brother Matt, what will it do to you? Let me tell you what the prophet said. He said, it'll do what they did in the first church. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and their works were the works of Christ. They laid hands on the sick and they recovered. They done all kinds of signs and miracles and wonders. He said, because their forehead was sealed by the revelation that he was the son of God and they were working with him, the deity of Christ. He said, there's the mark. Not only were they marked for the revelation, but then they had hands to do a work. The revelation caused you to do a work. You say, brother, my, well, you mean the Lord's calling us to work? That's what Jesus said. He said, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. My, think about us doing the Lord's work. What is the Lord's work? We go out and have services and we, we preach the gospel. We go in the mission fields and spend money and time and efforts winning souls and testifying of the work of the Lord and building places for people to come and worship and little huts and places and laying hands on the sick. It's all God's work. I think sometimes people forget it takes work to do the Lord's work. See, sometimes it takes work to do the Lord's work. See, it's a different, it's a different kind of work working for the Lord than it is working at a job. 
They're working in the natural. Working for the Lord don't have the toil of the, of the labor that we have in this natural. It's a different kind of work. See, see, our natural work came after the fall in the garden. Remember what God came and he told the, the woman. He said, in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. And then he told to Adam, he said, curse will be the ground for thy sake. For in sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. And the thistles it will bring forth in, in the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread. See, it looks like the work began after the fall. But see, but before the fall, there was still work to do. But it was just not the sorrow of work. See, before the fall, it was not the sweat or the toil or the, that heavy yoke of survival that we go through working in our natural life. But before the fall, it was a different kind of work. For the Bible says when God made man and he made him in the Garden of Eden, here that man was in a perfect condition with God. Here he was in fellowship with God. And I thought, isn't it something that there, there wasn't nothing negative that could come in? Not even a, a negative thought if he, that, that, that he could even allow. Here Adam, as, when he was sitting in fellowship with God in this perfect place. And here God would desire that the people of God today would be in that kind of condition. I thought, isn't that the way it is when we come to the house of God? See, Eden is a sanctuary to have fellowship with God. That's why we come to the house of God and, and we sing songs and we worship God. You say, what are we trying to do? It's to create an atmosphere, a sanctuary. You can say it's a temporary Eden. It's a place where that God can come and have fellowship and he can, he is a sanctuary. He can have communion with his children where he can speak lip to ear. And when you have needs, you can tell him what you have need of and he can answer your prayer to make an atmosphere where God can move. That's what we come. We come to church to have communion with God. To get into a place that God can speak to us. But even in this place, listen what God told Adam. The Bible said, and the Lord took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So see, even in that atmosphere, there was still work. And it wasn't just the man, for the Bible said he needed a helpmate. So he made him a wife to be a helpmate for him. So him and his wife both had work to do. You see, see, it's still work, but without the toll of the flesh. It's work without the cost or the curse of death. See, the Lord's work comes with an eternal reward. I wonder tonight how many would say, I come to do the Lord's work. Why don't we go to church? We come to do the Lord's work. We come, see, this is God's work. It, it, this ain't, this ain't, this ain't something that you come to get a paycheck or we come to do the Lord's work. And Brother Bam said, that's what we're here for. That's why we're happy to hear that the work of the Lord is increasing. Every time we come into the house of God, Brother David, that's why we come to church is that we can make a place for God to move. That's why we come to the house of God is to do, is to do the work of the Lord. Friends, we're not just working on the church service. It ain't just working on having a good time. It ain't just working on that way we can feel good whenever we we go home, but when we come to, into the, to the house of God, we come to, to have a, a, a place of worship. When we come to restore the temple of God, and we don't come just to do the physical part. We don't come just to run the sound and to make a good live stream or to make some good songs or good singing. You know, sometimes even that kind of work, it gets common in the work. But there's a greater work that we do every time we come in the house of God. Jesus said, know ye not that you are the temple of God. See, when you come to the house of God, you come to do the work on God's house. When you come to the house of God, you come to work on the temple of God. I thought, you know, that's the way it is sometimes. The temple gets in bad shape and it just needs a little bit of work. 
Amen, somebody. Sometimes the temple needs work. Sometimes it used to be a place of worship and it used to be a place of sacrifice and it used to be a place that was dedicated to God, a place that God could dwell. But sometimes just like our natural house, it'll get cluttered up and, and it needs a little bit of spring cleaning and things start to get in there that, 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 that you, you wouldn't really want to invite anybody in to see what's going on the inside. And that's what happens with the temple sometimes. The Bible says you're the temple of God, but sometimes the temple gets filled up with things. Sometimes it just needs a little work. It's a spiritual house. Sometimes it gets in bad shape. Sometimes we need the Lord to come by. We need to work on the temple. You ever thought of the history of of Solomon's temple? When God made it, it was a place where the glory of God could be seen. And when they built the temple, it wasn't long. I thought how that they built it and it was so wonderful and the presence of God moved and flowed so freely through it and the people, they were so free to worship. And, but after a little while, and as the, the sin would enter in, and before long they got into this captivity of Babylon. And the Bible would tell us as Babylon had taken over and took the people of Israel and put them in this state of exile. You know what I saw when I thought of these people being in this state of exile? Here was a people that had a desire. You know, think of all these folks. It wasn't, every one of them wasn't doing something wrong. I thought, here's some people. There was some good people in that, in that land. There was some good people in, there was, there was, there was some prophets there. There was some, even, even we read of the prophets of exile. And, but I thought here they were, they were all in this condition. And it was a people that had a desire to worship God, but had no place to do it. I thought, I wonder if we ever felt that way. There, there's something on the inside of us that has a real desire to worship God. And there, there's something on the inside of us that has a real desire to be a believer and, and to be so, and to be so sold out to God that God could freely work through us, but there's just something that, that won't let us do it. So see, this is the condition of the temple, a desire to worship, but no place to do it. But then they, they came and the prophet Joel came and spoke. He said, but I will restore saith the Lord. I thought, my, isn't it something even in that condition? But they had a word from the Lord. I will restore. You say, Brother Matt, well, what did it take to restore it? It took a people that was willing to take the prophet's word. He said, I'll restore. It took somebody that was willing to take the words of a prophet and go get their hands dirty. It took a people that was willing to follow Zerubbabel back into Jerusalem and didn't care to pick up a shovel or pick up a wheelbarrow or or pick up a a saw cutter or or a diamond bait or something that didn't care to go work on rebuilding the temple of God. Friends, all it took was somebody that had a desire to return the temple to its former glory. And the Bible says, and the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. He said, speak now to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the high priest, and to the residue of the people and say, who among you is left that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing? What a question that he asked. He said, ask them who among you saw the house like it used to be. And is it not as nothing now? I thought, my, listen, what God was asking them. Are you satisfied with the temple of God? My, what a question. If God would ask it this evening, are you satisfied with your temple? Are you satisfied with the condition of God's temple? Are you satisfied with the temple of God? Has it lost some foundation? Has it lost some stones? Has it been filled with things? Has it been taken up by things of the world? Oh, friends, if there, if there was ever a time, then the time is now. If there, if there ever was a time you could think of a people that need to be satisfied with God's temple. He's called us to praise. He's called us to a time of worship. You say, Brother Matt, there was a time when the temple, it, it, it was pleasing to God. 
There was a time when this temple, it was filled with the glory of God. There was time, you know, that, that this temple, it was so free to come and worship God. And, you know, I could go to church and I could lift my hands. And, and my, it, it, didn't take, it, it didn't take some song to get me worked up. It, I'd be the first one in there. And I'd go to church 30 minutes early. I took my Bible and I'd read my Bible and pray and, and create an atmosphere for God to move. And when I'd go home, I'd kneel down on my bedside at night. And, and you know, I'd, I'd kneel down and pray and I had a real relationship with God. But my job and things in my life and the pressures of life and all those things begin to build up. And, you know, I used to sing. I, I used to have so much joy, but now I got so many bills and all, you know, I went through a disagreement with somebody or whatever it is. Are you satisfied with the condition of the temple? What a question. Are you satisfied with the condition of the temple? Let me tell you something that not only were the people not satisfied with it, but God wasn't either. But he didn't leave them in that condition. He said, now, hey, guy, say unto them, be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, the high priest. And be strong, all the people of the land, and work, for I am with you. Isn't it something that he told? He said, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the people. See, Zerubbabel was the type of the Lord. Joshua being a type of the Holy Ghost. He said, Joshua, the priest, I thought, my here, see, the Lord has a work to do. The preacher, the Holy Ghost filled preacher, he had a work to do. He said, but see, the preacher has to do his part and the people have to do their part. But then the Lord does his part. So what, what did he say he'd do? He said, in a little while, I'll shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and all the dry land. And I will shake all the nations and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. And the glory of this latter house will be greater than the glory of the former. Oh, friends, let me tell you tonight that God wasn't just talking about Israel, but he was talking about you tonight. He wasn't just speaking of Israel, but he was speaking of Christ and the church of the living God. That when Christ would come into the heart of a believer, it would be a greater glory be strong and work you say brother man that's the way it is in the church today every time you come in God's house it takes work let me tell you friends I don't think I've ever went to church it takes work to get your mind off the world it takes work when you sit down on a pew to get your mind off a problem it takes work to get your mind off your job and work to get your mind off of school and work to get your mind off your life and work to get your mind off of trouble but we keep working See, that's the devil's trick is to get your mind so caught up in problems that you can't see the promise of God. You can't see the will of God that you'll miss out on a blessing of God. But I say, who came to work tonight? You have to work. See, brother, I want to work to get my mind on the things of God. Let me work to create an atmosphere for God to move. Let me work to make Christ welcome. And the devil says, you're just trying to get people worked up. I say, no, I'm not. That was the prophet of God. He said, be strong and work. It ain't me, but be strong, all the people of the land, and work. Work that the house would be filled with glory. Sometimes it takes work. It, ta- it takes laying before the Lord. It, ta- it takes crying out to God and, and, and surrendering. And, and it, it just seems like people today, the only, con- the only uh, uh, forgiveness they'll, they'll want is to come and stand for a few minutes and walk away and think it's going to change everything in their life. But it takes time to pour it out and empty it out and emptying out before the Lord that the house could be filled. I imagine some of them got tired of working. Some of them got tired of pushing wheelbarrows. Some of them got tired of packing stone and things to the temple, but they worked. What an encouragement. Be strong and work for the glory of the latter 
will be greater than the glory of the former. Isn't it something that God wouldn't leave the temple in that condition? I thought, what a type that is today, that he won't leave your temple in that condition either. He said, because I have made a covenant with you. When I brought you out of Egypt, I made a covenant. And, I'm a, and, I, and I intend to keep the covenant that I made. I thought, isn't it something? It's not just the preachers that are working. It ain't just the people that are working, but God's working too. It ain't all on us, but God's doing his part. Every service, God's working too. Every time you come in the house of God, God's working too. The Bible says the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It's God working on his children. He goes out into the congregation and he's searching hearts and lives. And he's finding weaknesses and voids in our life and cutting things out of our life to bring us to a certain place. See, it's not God's desire for you to be wrong. God don't trap you and trick you. That's what the devil does. He don't, he don't lay a trap up ahead to try to see if he can catch you in a trap just to bring you down a little bit. God don't lay a trick up the road to try to trick you to bring you down. The devil lays traps and then goes and tells on you for falling in them. But God's intention is to lead you out. You see, God still works too. I thought of how that he comes in the service. What is he doing? But he comes to bring the preaching of the word to, to bring correction. And, and, you know, I thought, isn't it something that, that, you know, most people, when you receive correction, you take a little boy and my head don't feel very good. He said, but what we ought to do is we ought to thank God because it's the grace of God that he wouldn't leave you in error. Isn't it something to see? The Bible says, Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chase and be zealous, therefore, and repent. Can I break this down a little bit? But Abraham said, notice, he said, first off, notice who he was talking to. He said, and now he says to his own. So if God is correcting us, it's because we belong to him. For first off, he says to his own, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He said, see, to rebuke is to refuse or or to reprove. Most people read this, I rebuke and chasten. And they've got God running around with this great whip just beating up on people because they don't do things right. But Brother Ram said, notice, he said, see, to rebuke is to reprove. And to reprove is to expose with a view to correction. So in other words, if God is correcting us, he's correcting us for a purpose. He says, see, so, so chasten, it doesn't mean to punish. See, most of the time you, you take the, the, the mamas today. I may as well just pre- preach it, but you take the mamas today and they don't want nobody whip, whipping their kids. You got these, this certain weird thing going on around the world that, that you can't spank kids no more. And, you know, it, it, it's just, uh, you know, I, I, do the, I do a different way of, of parenting. And, all, and they, they come up with this new way of parenting. But, but the reality is, is because they don't understand the difference between punishment and discipline. But Abraham says, see, God chasing does not mean punish. Punish means to inflict a penalty. So if you're beating your kids out of punishment, well, it didn't right anyway. So see, but it means to inflict a penalty, but to chasten, it means to discipline. Don't mean that they didn't get a whipping, but it was for the purpose of it. So see, the purpose is to train a certain behavior because the subject's amendment is in mind. That's what discipline is. It's to train a child. Remember the Bible says, train up a child in the way it ought to go. That's why we discipline our children and God disciplines us. He says, see, it's a train our behavior because the subject's amendment is in mind. In other words, that God has a desire to make minor changes or modifications in our life. He's trying to bring us into this perfect place or to this image that he has in his mind. And so, and so he, he, he ain't punishing us, but he disciplines us. He says, see, he chastens us. And when we hear the word of God, see, it's changing us and it's growing us. This is what Paul said about it. He said, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you're rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. 
and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son has the father that he doesn't chasten? But if you be without chastisement, where we're all partakers, then you're bastards and not sons. I thought, friends, I want God to deal with me as a son. I don't want God to deal with me as a servant. I want to be dealt with as a son. You see, a son of God, he has different privileges that a servant don't have. See, sons, they come with a, they come with a certain thing. A son, a son of God has a security. See, you have a servant that worked for you and you didn't want him working for you or he done something wrong. You could just fire the servant. But a son of God, you can't fire. See, you, you don't fire your son. Well, you've done something wrong and, and you shouldn't have done that. And daddy don't come down and say, well, you're fired. You're no longer my son or you're no longer my daughter. See, a son of God, it has a security. But also it has an assurance. The Bible says the spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So because we're children, he reminds us that we're his children. He gives us the security that we'll, we'll always be his children. And the Bible said, and if you're his children, then you're heirs of God and you're joint heirs with Christ. That means everything that God gave to Christ, he gave to you. So if he made him, gave him power over the devil, then he gave you power over the devil. If he gave him power over sickness, then he gave you power over sickness. He raised him. The Bible says he raised him from the dead and he set him on the right hand of God in heavenly places in in Christ Jesus. And then Paul said, and then God has made us to sit in heavenly places. See, friends, he's made us co-equal. He's made us a joint heir with God that every right that he had was been given to the church of the living God. Friends, I don't know about you tonight, but I thank God for my God-given rights. I thank God for the privilege of being a son and a daughter of God. We ain't just some getter-bys that just get by every now and then but God has bestowed upon you the rights of a son and a daughter of God we've been made to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus brother Brown said every enemy is under your feet how many say amen? amen every enemy is under your feet as long as you're in Christ because everything's under his feet can we get a little bit more on this he said see he said every sickness every devil every power even death itself is under your feet this is the truth. He said, if, if I can just get the church to see that, brother, we'll be a triumphant church. Friends, we you know what it'll do? It'll cause the church not to come to church just guessing to see if God's going to do something. But a man said, well, what it'll do? It'll take all the guessing out of it. It'll take the hope out of it. It'll take the imaginary out of it. It'll take, I thank God, the make-believe, the story time, the little good old stories that people talk about God, and it'll put the real faith of God in the heart of a believer. He said, and then they'll come and say, I have the faith of God, and I know what it's going to be and then something is going to happen you see what satan's doing he's trying to take that out of your life you say well how will he do it he'll take the power out of the believer by unbelief how would he take the power you see but let me tell you friends the satan ain't the one that gave it to you so satan can't take it away hello somebody somebody say the word gave it to me see satan didn't give it to you what gave you the power what gave you the power over the devil the word gave it to you What gave you power over sickness? The Word gave it to you. What gave you power over grief? The Word gave it to you. What gave you power over sin? The Word gave it to you. What gave you power over the flesh? The Word gave it to you. He said, and all things are under your feet. But how many knows that Apostle Paul, he said, but there's one exception to that. He said, all things under my feet. This exception that Paul preaches about, he said, this, there's an exception to that. And that exception is why so many people are powerless today. I, I, I counsel with people all the time that just seem like they live such a powerless life. Yeah. 
And I say, you know, friend, the first thing I'm going to ask you, I'm going to talk about Paul's exception. See, Paul says, you can read this. You say, well, Brother Matt, what, what exception is it? Is it cancer that's not under my feet? No, that wasn't it. Is it, maybe it was depression that's not under my feet? No, that ain't it. Maybe it's suicide. The only the thing I can't overcome. Maybe that's, that's what it is. No, that ain't it at all. Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 15, 27. He said, he has put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him. Now this word put under come from a Greek word, hupotasso, which means to rank under or to make subject to. And Paul said, when he saith, then it is manifest that he is accepted. In other words, it's an exception, which did put all things under him. This is good stuff. In other words, read this in context. What he's saying, he says that when God said he put all things under the feet of Christ, he said there was an exception, and that exception was the one that put all things under his feet. He says, see, so in other words, he's not included in the group specified. He says, so the one that gave the power for you to be subject to the devil or the one that put all things under your feet. Paul said the next verse, he said, see how everything, everything is subject to him. He said, but the son himself is subject to the father. He says, so, so the only exception there is, he said, God is our exception. He says, see, so the only way, listen to what Paul's saying. He said, the only way that the son ever had power is because the son was subject to the father. How come everything was under his feet? He's because he was under the father. He said, see, he was subject to the one that gave the power. I thought, my, isn't that the way it is? If the power of the church came by the word of God, you wonder why people are so powerless. It's because they're not under subjection to the word of God. See, the only way Satan is subject to you is if you're subject to God. The only way he's subject to you is if you're subject to the word. You want healing in your body, then you must be subject to the word of God. If you want deliverance, then be subject to the word of God. If you want God to move on your behalf, then be subject to the word of God. If you want the Lord to answer your prayer, come under subjection to God's word. No wonder Satan wants to keep the word out of the church. Because the subjection to the word brings authority over the devil. Oh my, you ever noticed the picture? I always thought it was wonderful. The picture, the uh, brother Branham and had the, the angel of the Lord taking the picture over in, in Houston, Texas. I thought, isn't it something about that photo that the angel of the Lord didn't appear under his feet, but it appeared over his head. You should see because he was subject to the angel. We're subject to God. We're subject to the word of God. We ain't trying to be big somebodies. We're, we're not trying to be over everybody else. We're, but we want to be subject to the word of God. That God can use us. He can heal us. He can deliver us. He can lead us. To do the work of God. See, there's a purpose of God's correction. See, Paul said, he said, our earthly fathers, they correct us to satisfy their own gain. He said, that, and we reverence them. But, 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 but he said, but rather, much rather... Wouldn't be, be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live. For verily I say a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, our earthly fathers. He said, but whenever God chastens us, he does it for our profit. He said, see that we might be partakers of his holiness. But isn't it wonderful that when God chastens us, he chastens us for our good. See, he chastens us that we'd be partakers. He, he chastens us. He corrects us that we might receive a blessing from God. Let me tell you something about God. Friends, God, he can't change his word for anybody. So it means God can't change his word for you. So if God wants to bless you and there, there's things in his word that God wants to bring for your life. And the only way he can get it there is to get you in line with the word that provides it. 
See, see, so obedience to the word brings out the blessing of God. He corrects us in order to bless us. God don't correct us to beat on us. He don't correct you just to stomp on you and to beat you down where you can't have any liberty and you can't be a son of God and, then, and you can't even, can't even worship God no more. But God don't correct that way. He corrects you to lift you up. He corrects you to bless you. He corrects you that you can be free. He corrects you that you can have liberty in the house of God. That's the kind of correction that God brings. And Paul said it may, the chastening, it seems not joyous. It seems grievous. He said when it's going on, but afterward, it'll bring forth the fruit of his righteousness. Afterward, it'll bring the blessing of God on our life. He said, and then we'll lift up our hands that have been hanging down. After correction. He said, you'll lift up our hands that have been hanging down. He said, you'll, you'll take, it'll lift up your old feeble knees and make the path straight for your feet. I thought, isn't it something that the correction of the word of God brings a revival to the church? Isn't it something that God's word, when it comes in the power of correction, it don't beat the church down. It beats them. It lifts them up. It'll cause a joy to come into your heart. It'll cause a revival to come into your life. Paul said, it'll lift up your old hands that have been hanging down and change your feeble knees. I thought, my, isn't it the way, it's sad how people go, go in church today, just sometimes, or the way people walk around. It's sad how they are. When I, when I read that scripture, it made me think of Darwin and that picture that, that they have whenever they talk about evolution. And at the very beginning, they have that old ape and have knees out like this and hands all hanging down. And that, that's where they depicted that humans were made. And then they went from that and turned into people. But, but that ain't the way we were made at all. I thought, isn't that something? But Paul says, but it'll straighten up your feeble knees. And it'll cause the hands that have been hanging down to be raised up. Let me tell you, friends, we didn't come to church like a bunch of apes. We came to church like sons and daughters of God. And the correction of the word puts joy in your heart. The correction of the word, it takes condemnation out of your life. And the correction of the word, it causes you to lift your hands and praise God. When you can't be free in the house of God, a little correction of the word of God, it'll put a dance back in your step. It'll take that old spirit of uh, down and depression off of you. and cause you to be able to worship God again. We weren't made like a bunch of apes. The Bible says we were made in the image of God. We weren't meant to be filled with condemnation. You weren't meant to walk around with your head down and your knees down and, and your arms all beat up and defeated. That ain't the way God made you. He made you to walk upright. The position of a believer is not down. The position of a believer is up. Our position is an overcomer. That's what God told Job. He said, Job, where were you when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? See, those morning stars, they were the angels of light. But you know, that ain't the only place they sang. But Abraham said, see, they had a celebration before there ever was a speck of stardust. Before God ever created, they were having a celebration in heaven. But then one day, whenever Christ was born on the earth, then the angels of God came down to some shepherds in a field. He said, then they had a celebration on earth. You say, Brother Matt, what caused them to sing in heaven? It's because God was in heaven. What caused them to sing on the earth? It was because God was on the earth. He said, see, and what they did on the earth was a reflection of what they did over on the other side. I thought, my, if it's that way for the angels of God, then what about the sons of God? They were shouting for joy. I say they've shouted on the other side. What caused them to shout in glory? It's because God was in glory. What caused them to shout on the earth? It's because God's in the earth. And what you do here is a reflection of what you are there. Well, friends, we weren't made to be dead. God's people ain't a bunch of dead people. 
We, he, he said, we're made to be alive. We're made to praise God. We're made to worship the Lord. We can't help it. Even, even if this flesh dies, isn't it something? Even the flesh of a man dies in a few days. It'll come back. It'll come in, a, in another body. I thought, my, even the flesh dying, it can't keep you down. He said, it'll be right where it was. Back into the perfect image of God again. Friends, the same God. I think of the same God that made the man in the beginning. He's the same God that's forming man now. It's never changed. It's the same work. You say, how do you know that that's what God is doing with people now? Because it's the same former. Nothing's ever changed. It's always been the same potter. The Bible says the Lord God formed man out of the dust to the ground. And he breathed, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. In the book of Jeremiah, he said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Isn't this something? It was the same potter. It was the same God. It was the same one that formed him. But Abraham said, see, there the potter. Before the potter lies all mankind as one lump of clay. And out of that same lump, he'll now make vessels of honor and dishonor. And the choosing is his own choosing. But then the chosen ones born of his spirit will be trained to conform to his image in their walk. He reproves us with all long suffering and gentleness and mercy. With his own hands. Think of it. With his own hands. Brother David, he corrects us. With the hand of the potter. He corrects us. But the hand of the potter, I thought, my, isn't it something that this is the place when Judah had sinned and they had allowed evil to come in their hearts. It's so bad that whenever God would send judgment upon Judah, that, that Jeremiah would go and repent to God and say, Lord, this judgment is so bad, don't let it come upon me. He saw it and he, he said, Lord, whatever you do, don't let, I'm not part of it. He saw the judgment of God and the Lord began to speak to him. He said, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and I'll give you the answer. So here the prophet of God, I thought here as he goes down, the Bible says he went down to the potter's house and he went down he said, I've seen him doing a work on the wheels and the vessel that he made was marred in his hand. So he made it again. I thought, isn't it, isn't it something to think that here this potter could take something that was broken, something that was, that had they had cracks in it and had maybe some dryness of, uh, over the past few months or things that had been going on and let a little dryness get in and some cracks in the vessel that it wasn't able to be used in the way it was intended. He said, but he could make it again. I thought as he watched the hands of the potter, I could just see Jeremiah sitting there. The Lord sends his prophet to go to a potter's house. Here he's looking for the answer of the Lord. And he goes down to a place. I, I can just see they have a little hut out there and the potter working out there on the wheel. And here Jeremiah, the, the prophet, goes out and he just stands as a, as, a, as a visitor just watching as the potter's working this work of clay. You know, I, I thought of it. And, you know, one time I was, over, I was over in India on my first trip, missionary trip that I'd went on. And when I was out there, they, we, we had a, a big youth meeting there. And these are kids that don't have, they don't even have the, 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 their parents are, are Hindus or different ones. And, and if they would even accept Christianity, that their mamas and daddies wouldn't even let them move back in their house. I watched 13 and 14-year-old boys and girls that would give their heart to the Lord and go live in an orphanage because their parents wouldn't allow them home. But they'd come to a meeting and, and get under the atmosphere of the Holy Ghost. And, and now all these things that they had been taught, these are kids that had, had grown up and never even heard the name Jesus. 
But somebody would bring them to a meeting. And they'd get so inspired by the word. And I thought, my, if God would, could, could take them and he could take their life and change it in that way. And I remember after that first meeting that we had, there, there was so many. I, I don't remember the number, but maybe 25 or 30 or, or so of them that in, that, in that first service that came and, and gave their heart to the Lord and wanted to be baptized. So we went out in, on the riverbank there and them brothers was, was going out. And there were several hundred kids at the, at the meeting that invited their friends. And, and, the, and the pastors were setting up on the riverbank and... I remember watching those young people go down into that river. And as they walked down in there, of course, here, me being from the United States, I, I kind of eased over to the side. And if you get caught baptizing somebody, then, then it's, you know, it's, a, it's a life sentence for about every one of them that, that you would baptize. And so it's quite a, in that, in that region. So, so I, I went over to the side and I was watching them baptize them. And, and I remember when I looked down on the, in the rocks, there was, a, there was a little clay pitcher about this big around. And when I saw it, I thought, you know, That'd be a neat souvenir. You know, I come from, from Arkansas, and they, there's a lot of pottery and, and Indian artifacts and stuff like that. And so I thought, you know, that'd be a, a neat souvenir. And I picked it up, and, and the brothers, all the pastors that were there, and they, they'd kind of gathered around where we were, and we were praying. And one of the brothers, he said, oh, Brother Matt, throw that down, throw that down. And I said, well, what's the matter? He said, you don't, want, you don't want that. I said, well, why not? He said, well, that was used to worship Hindu gods. And I thought, here I was holding this piece of pottery, and just a piece of clay that had been used. It was made. It was created for the purpose by the, by the man that had put it together for the purpose of worshiping a Hindu God. And the more I thought, looked at it, the more I thought about it, I, I asked that brother, I said, Brother, have you ever heard the story of the potter and the clay? He said, well, I, I don't guess I have. And I, I, got, I sat down on some rocks, and them brothers began to gather around, and I took that little pot, piece of pottery in my hand. He said, oh, brother, I wouldn't even hold that. He said, don't you realize? He said, that, that, that's something we, we would break it. He, he said, that was used for the wrong reason. And I looked out at those young people walking down in that river, little girls and little boys that were walking down the water, and, and something came over me, and I said, brother, so were every one of them. They, when they were made by their parents and, and they were raised up, they were put in them to serve a Hindu God. God. They spend every day of their life worshiping some other God. Every day of their life they spend out there in Hinduism. I said, but one day the potter came by where they were and he called them out of their house into a meeting over here and he began to pour his spirit and he took them down to the potter's wheel and he molded them and he reshaped them and he made them into a vessel that could worship almighty God I said friends it may be in use to worship something else but today it's been changed I said this potter has got a hold of it it ain't what it used to be he's changed it by the hands of the potter God said, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. I don't care what you came out of. I don't care what you've been going through. I don't care what life's been like. I don't care how many battles you've been facing. As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. He's the same potter. He's the potter that formed in the, the very first man in the beginning. Let me tell you, friends, there's many potters that has formed many vessels. They made vessels to carry water. They made vessels to carry, to carry grass seed and herb seed and food. But let me tell you, this potter, the first vessel that he ever made, it wasn't made to carry some man-made thing. It was made to carry the very breath of Almighty God. For the Bible says he made it and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's our potter. Oh my, I thought of he, he made us. If he made us in the beginning, well, what makes you think he can't mold you? 
What makes you think you can't shape you? What makes you think you can get so out of shape that God don't know what to do with you? Let me tell you this. I can tell you, you can get so out of shape that the devil don't know what to do with you. That God don't know what to do with us. He's the potter. The one that made us. Oh, I thought as he, this potter, he went down that day. Here in the very beginning, he took a dirt off the ground. The first vessel he ever made. And he began to form it. I'm going to hurry and close. But he began to form it. Y'all too easy to preach to. But I could just see as he went down and he made, made the shoulders of a man. Here he was made in his image of the Bible said, but then he took the dust to the ground and he formed man. Oh, isn't it something to think that he formed? He took him and made his hair and his head and began to make this shape that God wanted the man to look like. He formed him. You catching it? He formed him. But here's the, the potter's hands. He formed him with his own hands. He placed his hands on every, every part of him he made. There wasn't a piece of him that God didn't make. He formed the man out of the dust of the ground. When it, was, when it had no form, when it had no shape, I thought it, it, it did something and he had never had any practice. It was the first vessel that God had ever made. And he made it in perfection. He formed it. And I thought as he looked down at it, I wonder if God, when he looked at it, that he wanted it to live. The Bible said when he got done forming, I could just see Adam laying there on the ground, formed by God. Maybe God walked around and looked at him for a bit. That's exactly what I wanted him to look like. But then he said he knelt down and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Friends, when the breath of God entered into that clay vessel, something started to happen. I say, something started to happen. I, the heart in that clay vessel started beating. The heart that was made from clay, it started beating. The, the lungs that was in that vessel that was made by God, they began to fill up with air. I thought as God would breathe the breath of life into that old clay vessel, all of a sudden, maybe over his hand just laying there still, and after God began to breathe in him, all of a sudden a little finger starts to move like this. After a little bit, a little toe starts to move like that. You say, what is it, brother man? It was signs of life. Why? Because the breath of God had entered into an earthen vessel. He made him. He formed in him. And he breathed into him his own breath. And man became a living soul. And all of a sudden, the, I, can, I can just see Adam as he stood up. And he rose from the dust of the ground. Hear that, that man that God had formed. Imagine what it was like. I, I wish I could see it, what it was like. That day that he stood up by God and God took him by the hand and he, and he shook his hand for the first time and he hugged his neck for the first time. He was made by God. And the same God that formed him formed you. He made every part of you. There ain't not one part of you that was a mistake. He made you. That's why he told Jeremiah, I formed you in your mother's womb. He knew how you'd be. He knew the problems that you'd face. He knew the things you'd have to overcome. He's God and he made you. He's our potter. He's been molding us ever since. You know, they say a potter, an old potter. When he makes a vessel, there's something distinct about every potter that whenever he gets to the end of making the vessel that he's making, 
that he actually leaves a mark on it. So they say it like this, that the potter, that because when he gets down to the end and he's shaping it and, he, and the wheel's turning and the clay is turning in the wheel, that when he gets to the end, maybe he would have his hand aimed a certain way while, it, while he was shaping it. And as, it, as the piece begins to take shape, he would, he would move his hand a certain way and it would leave a mark. They call this in the antique world, the potter's mark. And so there are those that were, whenever the, the antique dealers, when they go look at a piece of pottery, that's how they identify if it's authentic. Because it has the mark of the potter on it. See, it shows by what hand that it was made. You know, sometimes I thought of this as our potter, as he's made us, the hand of our potter. Just as he made Adam, and just as he created him. You know, sometimes the hand of God is stern. Sometimes the hand of God, as, he, as he's making us and molding us and shaping us. And, and sometimes, sometimes it hurts. But Brother Brown says, but notice, he chastens us with nail-scarred hands. I thought, my, his hands of correction are hands of grace. His hands of correction are hands of mercy. See, our potter's hands has a distinctive mark. It's the imprint of a Roman nail. Well, friends, let me tell you tonight, that's why every one of us can stand as believers is because we bear the mark of the potter. You say, brother, man, what is this that's shaping the church today? It's the hand of the potter. It's the nail-scarred hand of Jesus Christ. That is shaping every one of you. And you've got the potter's mark in your life. That's how you can lift your hand. Because you're bearing the potter's mark. That's how you can overcome. Because you're bearing the potter's mark. That's why you can praise God. Because you're bearing the potter's mark. That's why you can say amen. Because you're bearing the potter's mark. And the whole world looks at you. And they say they're flawed. Yeah, I say, well, call me what you want to. But I'm bearing the mark of my potter. They say these people done lost their mind. I say, call me what you want to. But I'm bearing the mark of my potter. They say, you girls, you're, you're, you're out there looking that way. And wearing long dresses. And how ridiculous it is. I say, call me what you want to. But I'm bearing the mark of my potter. I say, let me bear the potter's mark. He molded me. He shaped me. In his image, if you'll stand to your feet tonight, we're bearing the mark of the potter. Say, Brother Matt, why do you bear it? Because I know what I used to be. My life is a testimony of the mark of the potter. He took me, took my life into his hands. Isn't this something? There ain't a piece of clay that God has ever taken into his hands that he didn't leave a mark on. He leaves a mark. I thank God tonight that we can bear the potter's mark. You know, there was a lady by the name of Fanny Crosby. You remember the blind lady who wrote songs and said she wrote this song, I'll feel the nail prints in his hand. But then she turned and inspiration struck her. And she sang, I shall know him. I shall know him. And redeemed by his side, I shall stand. I shall know him by the nail prints in his hand. Friends, I thank God tonight that we can bear the mark of the potter. That's what I see when I look at these young people. It's a people that are bearing the potter's mark. See, the world can mark you what they want to. Go ahead and let them. They can label you what they want to. They can call you what they want to. But we're bearing the potter's mark. Why are y'all so free? Because you're bearing the potter's mark. Why do you worship God like you do? You're bearing the potter's mark. Why do you have so much liberty in the house of God? You're bearing the potter's mark. Bearing the mark of the potter. Can we sing that? Pass me not.
Pass me speaking to me tonight got a little dry maybe you've been going through a dry spell something in your heart that's been burdening you you want free of it say what can I do Well, make a trip to the potter's house let him mold you just lift your hand in the Lord Lord I pray you'd see me Lord you know what I what I need Lord you you know the dry places in my life, Lord. God, you know what, what I need and where I, where I need touch, Lord. God, you know where I need changed and molded. Lord, I ask you to take a hold of my life again tonight, Lord. I surrender on the will of the potter.
themselves. Oh.